Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Had a good time at the park last week. Thankful for all who showed up. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing through John this morning. We're in John chapter 3. It's Jesus and Nicodemus. Most of you have probably heard the passage. Maybe you watched it recently in season one of Chosen. I think it was episode seven. If not, go watch it again. It was well worth it. It's a good episode. It's been said that these passages that we're going to go over this morning and and, um, to be you know, in all fairness, this is probably like part one. It's going to take two to three weeks to get through chapter three. And uh, it's part one because, because what, we're ta- what we're looking at here, uh, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus' response to Nicodemus goes all the way through, I think, verse 21, 22, something like that. And uh, verse 21 and so the most popular verse in the Bible that everyone knows is John 3.16. One of the things that we, maybe we don't think about this, I don't know if you do or not, but John 3.16 is part of Jesus' response to Nicodemus. It's part of his reply to Nicodemus about what he's talking to Nicodemus about. But we're not going to go over John 3.16 this morning. So it's been said that these passages that we're looking at this morning are some of the most important passages in all of the Bible. Because the words from Jesus that we are going to look at this morning are in all reality an answer for everything that the world deals with in this life. Right? These words are the cure for the woes of humanity. Right? No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're dealing with, whether it be you know, political, economical, personal, no matter what it is, Today's words that we hear from Jesus are essential for your life. And and in reality, they are essential to your salvation. And the question you ask yourself as we go through these today is, are you born again? Now, there's this idea. It's a false idea. Let me just say it up front. There is this idea that there are Christians And then there are born-again Christians. As if there's like this different layer, different level of Christianity. You're a Christian, and then maybe one day you'll be able to be a born-again Christian. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. So there isn't... you, you can't go through and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. Because often that phrase, born-again, is used as the bun-in of a joke somewhere. Matter of fact, I looked on Amazon the other day. I was actually looking for a joke. You know, I thought, let's start with a joke today. Right? I don't throw jokes in very often, but let's start with a joke today. So I'm looking for born-again jokes. Okay, There are none. Don't look for... Born-again jokes. Every born-again joke that you find on the internet is a joke. Again, right? It's, 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 you know, how many born-agains does it take to change a light bulb? Right? It's, it's, it's one of these stupid type of jokes that's mocking or making fun of born-again Christians. Every single one of the jokes. There are books 
being sold on Amazon. I found them in my search when I was looking through, right? You know, 101 born-again jokes, and everyone is a joke that's making fun or mocking born-again Christians. So we often, often that phrase born-again is people think it's, it's a term. It's like Christian, like the term Christian, like little Christ, when that term came out originally, when it was originally used, it was mocking the followers of Jesus, Right, so they've we've turned that phrase around. We've we've taken that phrase and saying, well, you guys were mocking us with that phrase, but we're actually proud of it because it means we're followers of Jesus. We're not ashamed of that. Well, it's the same with born again. It's the same with born again. I'm not afraid of the phrase born again. I'm not afraid of the phrase holy roller. Right? Remember those phrases they used to throw out all those different Christianese phrases, and and a lot of them were done to mock Christians. Those holy rollers. Those born again Christians. Right. I'm not, a, not afraid of those things. There's no reason for us to be ashamed of those things. But what we're going to look at today in John is just that. The fact that we need to be born again. It's a fantastic portion of scripture, right? Like I said, it's going to take us a while to get through it. I mean, just this first section with the top or the part where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus is going to take us two weeks. So we guess we better get started. All right, turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, the John chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 1 through 15 this morning. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, that word teacher there in the Greek actually can mean master. That you are a master come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered Nicodemus. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you open up our hearts to be receptive to your word. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit just speak it to us. I thank you for these words, and I thank you for the truth of the gospel that's here in these words. I, I, I thank you for the simplicity of what's said. It's not confusing, but yet it confuses people. 
I thank you, Lord, for the truth and the hope that's found in there, that we who are born again will have eternal life in Christ Jesus. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't know a lot about Nicodemus. What I mean by that is there's not a lot of extra biblical references to Nicodemus. You can't, like Josephus doesn't talk about Nicodemus. There's not a lot of Jewish historians that reference Nicodemus. There's a lot of history, there's a lot of legend about Nicodemus, but there isn't a lot of extra biblical resources. So what we have about Nicodemus is really only found here in the Gospel of John, and because he's in none of the other Gospels, and he's mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. So we're going to see Nicodemus again. And you're going to be able to, from the, the next two times, chapter 7 and towards the end of the Gospel of John, when he's helping uh, Joseph of uh, Arimathea bury uh, Jesus, you're going to be able to see a change in Nicodemus's life. So you're going to be able to see how this conversation with Jesus affected Nicodemus and possibly converted Nicodemus, how he became a believer of Jesus. But this is what we do know about Nicodemus. First, his name, Nicodemus, is a Greek name, which is kind of interesting considering the fact that he's a Pharisee and he's a ruler of the Jews. Some say that this is really more his nickname, not his real name. It's possible. I don't know. We don't know. But his name means conqueror, or literally it means victorious among the people. Nicodemus was educated. He was well-educated. He was really educated, right? Nicodemus probably went to more schooling than you and I combined. He was wealthy. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was more than likely a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like the Jewish Supreme Court. Jesus refers to him here in verse 10, for example. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He refers to him as the teacher of Israel. He doesn't refer to him as a teacher of Israel. He refers to him as the teacher of Israel. And we could sit and debate for hours about what that means exactly. But really, for our intent and purposes, all it really means to you and to me is that Nicodemus held a rather prestigious position as a religious leader slash ruler slash teacher right, of the Jews. And I know that one bad apple can spoil the whole barrel, but it is possible that not all Pharisees are corrupt. And if there was a Pharisee who wasn't corrupt, it was probably Nicodemus. Now no, notice when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says something and he says, we believe. He doesn't just say, I believe. That means there's possibly other Pharisees or other members of the Sanhedrin who also believe that Jesus is actually from God. Doesn't say that he believes he is the Messiah. He doesn't say, we believe you're the Messiah. He just believes, he just says, we believe that you are from God. People can't do these things that you're doing that we've seen you do unless they are from God. Okay? So Nicodemus believes that Jesus is from God. So, I mean, if it was possible, if anybody could be made righteous through the law, which it's not possible, but if, if it was, Nicodemus 
you know, would have been in contention for that. Just trying to get, help you understand the character of Nicodemus. Right? Jack Hibbs uh, puts it this way. He says, Nicodemus going to see Jesus is equivalent to Billy Graham or the Pope going to see Jesus. That's who Nicodemus was in his world at that time. Okay? So Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus at night. And often, right here, people go, well, why did he come at night? Why didn't he come during the day? Why didn't he have this discussion with Jesus out in the public square? Well, that's probably exactly why he didn't have this, this discussion with Jesus, because it was the public square. This isn't a discussion he wanted to have in front of everyone else. This is a discussion he wanted to have with Jesus personally. This was a personal thing. Some people say he was a coward. Nicodemus was a coward. He came at night. He was afraid of what other people might say if they saw him go speak to Jesus because of his prestige, because of his role, because of who he was in, in the society. If he was seen talking to Jesus by the public, oh no, bad, bad, right? It's not going to help your, you know, who you are. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to help Nicodemus. I don't think Nicodemus was a coward. I think Nicodemus knew that it would be easier to talk to Jesus personally on a personal level about something like this at night because he wouldn't be surrounded by people. He didn't want to do this in the public square. That's not a place to have this conversation. He wanted to do this at night. He wanted to be more intimate. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he confesses to Jesus that he knows, as we've talked about, that he is from God. Now, at the end of John chapter 2, verse 23, remember, rewind really quick, because it says, Nicodemus tells Jesus, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. At the end of chapter 2, it says about Jesus, in verse 23, it says, now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So Nicodemus was one of those people. Okay, just to understand what signs. It doesn't say what signs. doesn't matter what signs, Right? But whatever the signs were, whatever the miracles were that Jesus was doing, Nicodemus saw it, and Nicodemus said, listen, no one can do those things unless they're from God. Nicodemus is a smart person. He's well, like I said, he's well-educated. He came to the correct conclusion that Jesus must be from God. He saw the signs. He recognized the divine authority that Jesus had and that there was something different about Jesus. Something that drew Nicodemus to him. Nicodemus seems to be, I mean, if there were other, other uh, Sanhedrin or other Pharisees that saw those same signs, because remember, like I said, Nicodemus said, we believe. we believe. If there were other ones, Nicodemus was the only one who had the motivation to follow up on that. Nicodemus was the only one who seemingly wanted to know more because Nicodemus is the only one who came to Jesus. The rest stayed back. Think about that in your own life for just a second, in your own personal relationship with Jesus. What is it that drew you to Jesus? What is it that you saw that made you want to know more about Jesus? That drew you into his word, that drew you into prayer, that made you, you know, that you surrendered your life to Jesus. What is it? And then think about all the other people who may have seen that exact same thing may have even come to the same conclusion that you came to that said, there's something more here. But you maybe were the only one who said, I want to go deeper. 
I want to find out more. I want to investigate it. I want to know more about Jesus. In that sense, you're the only one who stepped out, just like Nicodemus. Like all the, there's like 70 plus people in the Sanhedrin, right? In the Jewish Supreme Court. What if they all said the same thing? What if all the Sanhedrin said, that man is from God? And yet Nicodemus is the only one who said, well, I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go talk to him. And all the rest said, well, we're not really going to do that. We're just going to stay back. That's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit was drawing, the Spirit of God was drawing Nicodemus to Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. It's the work of the Spirit in Nicodemus' life. John, Jesus will say later in John chapter 5, right? Spoiler alert, we're not there yet. But Jesus will say, you know, for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. They bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, all the miracles and the signs that I'm doing are bearing witness to who I am. That's what Nicodemus saw. They bared witness to who Jesus was. And Nicodemus says, I want to know more about this. I want to know more about this person. I want to find out what's going on. If you watch The Chosen right in the episode, you'll know that it was the healing of Mary Magdalene from her demon possession that got Nicodemus on the track of Jesus. Because Nicodemus, you know, in The Chosen, they've taken liberties and expanded the story a little. But in the, in the, in the very first episode of season one, it's Nicodemus who goes to Mary to try to cast out the demons and he can't do it. And then later, he sees her, and she's completely healed. And he's like, ah, right? How can this happen? What, how, who, who did it? And she points him to Jesus. Nicodemus saw a sign, and he wants to know more about Jesus. So he comes to Jesus. <laughs> and as Jesus has a habit of doing, uh, he cuts right to the chase. There's no small talk with Jesus. You know how we are when we get together for a cup of coffee? How's the weather? Yeah, the weather's great. You like it? Yeah, it's cooler. Did you see the lightning storm? Yeah, that was great. There's, you know, all these things that we talk about. Did you see that thing on the news about the flooding in, in Florida, you know, and the storm? Oh, yeah. Like if Nicodemus was trying to have small talk with Jesus, Jesus just cut him off. We know that you're a man of God because we saw the signs that you were doing. That's, that's all we have that Nicodemus said. We don't have any other words. There's nothing here to tell us that Nicodemus asked a question. <laughs> all Nicodemus said was, is that we know that you were a teacher come from God. And Jesus said, let's dispense of the formalities. And let me get to the, right, to the heart of the question, the heart of the matter here. The heart of the matter is you've come to me because you have a question concerning your salvation. Let me answer it for you. So Nicodemus is, you know, trying to be, make pleasantry, trying to do the small talk, introducing himself, you know, hey, Jesus, it's a nice night out. Can, you can see the Big Dipper. And Jesus is like, listen, you got to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Nicodemus is probably right then, you know, just like, whoa, okay. How did you know what I came to talk to you about? Right? You know, it says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. Jesus uh, searched Nicodemus' heart. He, he knew exactly why Nicodemus was there and he was just getting right to the point. Let's just get to the point, Nicodemus. There isn't time to waste about on these things. There isn't, let's just get right to the point. Here's my thought on this. Nicodemus 
was missing something of great importance spiritually. And his heart testified to it. And I think Nicodemus knew it. With everything that Nicodemus knew, he still felt there was this nagging something in him somewhere that told him he didn't know everything. He thought he knew everything. He didn't know everything. There was something else he still needed. He wasn't sure what it was. But this man was from God. Maybe this man knew. Right? So he comes to Jesus. He comes seeking Jesus sincerely seeking answers, but yet he's coming to Jesus blind and ignorant to the ways of God. A man of God, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, right? Coming to Jesus blind and ignorant to the ways of God. Nicodemus, the man who thought he knew everything. I was about to find out he knew nothing. Right? Because everything that he thought he knew was wrong. His world was about to be turned upside down. It was going to be a shock to his system. It was going to be a revelation. And it was going to come straight from the mouth of Jesus. And this is what Jesus told him in verse 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Many denominations, many religions, many cults have different versions of what, different definitions of what being born again means. Some churches won't touch the subject, some churches will ignore it, some distort it. Born again is a phrase, like I said earlier, that is ridiculed and revered at the same time. Right? You can purchase, like I said, joke books about it if you want. But for us in Christ, it's a title that we proudly wear. I'm born again. Right? We're not ashamed of the gospel. We aren't embarrassed by the phrase. Guess what? We are born again believers. We aren't embarrassed by it. You know, Rich Mullins has a quote. He said, yes, it's embarrassing to be born again. He says, but imagine how embarrassing it must have been to be born the first time. <laughs> At least this time you get to wear clothes. <laughs> Jesus just lays this out for Nicodemus, simple and straightforward. And he's really, there's like, in this one verse, this is what, in this one verse, this is what Jesus says. First, he implores Nicodemus to be born again. Okay? The word, truly, truly, that phrase, it's used three times in the verses that we read. That phrase in the Greek, truly, truly, right? In the Greek, a literal translation of that phrase is, listen up, knucklehead. Okay, that's not the literal translation of the phrase. But that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, wake up. He's saying, truly, truly. The word in the Greek is actually, amen. But what it means, really, when you get down to the root of it, is it means, trust me. But it's, it's, a, it's a dedicated, I mean, it's a passionate plea for Nicodemus. That's what it is. When he's saying, truly, truly, he's like, Nicodemus, trust me on this thing right now. Listen to me. Shut up for a second. Here is what I want to tell you. I am begging you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's the first thing in that, in that phrase that he's telling him. And then the next thing he is telling him in that phrase, in that sentence, is 
how to be born again. He goes on to explain it, right? You have to be born of the Spirit. We all had our first birth. That's when we're born of the water. But then you have to have your second birth, which is when you're born of the Spirit. People say, well, what do we, he's talking about baptism, and he's talking about this, and he's talking about that. No, he's not. He's talking about your first birth and your second birth, right? That's why Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And people are like, what's water? Right? Well, he answers it in the next verse. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So your, water is your first birth. I said, listen, Nicodemus, you have to have a second birth. You have to be born of the Spirit. When it says that you have to be born again, that word again can also mean above. All right? So, and Nicodemus is not stupid. I told you this. Right? So he understands what Jesus is saying. He just doesn't accept what Jesus is saying right now. It hasn't gotten through his thick skull yet. Right? And there's reasons for that. And we'll go over them in just a second. But he's, he's just he's like, listen, Nicodemus, for you to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born from above. You have to be born spiritually. You have to be born of the spirit. You've been born of the water, but you haven't been born of the spirit. You need to be born of the spirit, Nicodemus. That's what you need. I implore you. <laughs> I implore you, Nicodemus, be born again. And, and the reason that he's imploring it and it tells him how to do it, it has to be done through the spirit is because he's also telling him why he needs to do it because that's the only way you can enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the only way. Nicodemus, what Jesus is saying is Nicodemus, I want you with me. And there's only one way and it's for you to be born again. Trust me on this, Nicodemus. But of course you can tell, just like, just like the, the religious leaders in the temple when Jesus went in there and started flipping over tables and they're like, hey, what, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus says, well, you tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He's refer- referring, of course, to his death and resurrection. They're like, well, how can you rebuild this temple in three days? It took 47 years to build this temple. They're thinking physically, Jesus is speaking spiritually. It's pretty much the same idea here with Nicodemus. I'm talking spiritually, Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew that. Okay? Let's just get past. Nicodemus isn't being sarcastic, necessarily. He's a little dumbfounded by what Jesus said, but he's not being sarcastic. When he says, what? Uh, what am I supposed to go, go, go back to my mom and somehow be born again? How does one get born again when one's old, right? Now, can I enter my mom's womb again? This isn't going to happen. Hey, mom! I'm going back in and I ain't coming out till I found Jesus. Right? That's not going to work. Mom's probably not going to let that one pass. So, you know, that's not going to, but he's not being sarcastic when he, when he says this. He is confused and he is perplexed, but he understands that Jesus is talking about something spiritual. It's, it's more that, that Nicodemus is just, thinking, perhaps he's even thinking morally because it was a lot about the law for Nicodemus. He's thinking, really, wait a minute, how can you teach an old dog new tricks? I'm too old to be born again. I'm too old for this, right? It's too late for me to change. I'm beyond that point. How can I start over now at this age? And by the way, it's never too late. You're never too old. You can be born again anytime. Right? So I think personally, I think Nicodemus clearly understood what was said. I think that he understands that Jesus is referring to a spiritual birth, birth. But here's the problem. His whole idea of that was clouded by years and years and years of knowledge that he had learned 
being raised in the ways of the Pharisees, by being a Sanhedrin, by years of teaching all this that went against what Jesus was saying. It, and it didn't line up with what Jesus was saying, right? It's in a sense what Nicodemus is really saying is, I believe, but help my unbelief. Okay, I accept that, but how? How? I can't get past the how part, Jesus, right? So Jesus, you know, explains it more to him, right? Less is, you know, you gotta, you gotta be born of the spirit. And then he gives him this, Example at the end, he says, uh, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, right? Don't be confused by this. Don't let it stop you from being born again. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to understand everything. I mean, you don't understand everything about the wind, but you see its effects, right? That's just how it is when you're born with the Spirit. I want you to know, Nicodemus, that you don't have to understand everything about being born again to be born again. Don't let it hinder you. It will be revealed to you. You will learn as you grow, right? However, Nicodemus was really still in shock at this point. Right? And that's why Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Nicodemus, you really should have had a better grasp on this already. Because I'm not telling you anything that, isn't, that doesn't line up with Scripture. Matter of fact, Nicodemus, if you were to you know, read about in the Old Testament for us, right? I mean, dry bones coming alive. And all these things that are in the Old Testament. Nicodemus, you should have known that God can bring these things back to life. That can bring these things, give them a second birth. You should have known this, Nicodemus. Is this really beyond your grasp? But it says like in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is where Nicodemus was having the problem was that he was having the trouble spiritually discerning what Jesus was saying. Why? Because Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were not looking for a new birth because they already thought they had one. It didn't make any sense to them. And it made no sense to Nicodemus. What it, Jesus' reply to Nicodemus, what it did was it shattered the Jewish assumption that their racial identity, which was their first birth, when you're born of water, their racial identity as the children of God, as chosen by God, that their first birth assured them a place in God's kingdom. I don't have to do anything else to enter the kingdom of God. I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite. I am just going to enter the kingdom of God. I am a descendant of Abraham. So therefore, I am just going to get into heaven. Right? It was actually taught widely among the Jews that since they descended from Abraham, they were automatically assured of going to heaven. Why do I, why do I need to be born again? In fact, actually, some rabbis actually taught that Abraham stood by at the gates of hell just to make sure that none of his descendants accidentally wandered in. 
right? Uh, uh, Samuel, turn around. <laughs> you're, you're heading the wrong direction, buddy. You're not supposed to be down here. Oh, oh thanks, Abraham. All right, and go chucking on the, the, the other direction. Woo, good thing Abraham's standing by the gates. However, what Jesus is telling him, which is why it threw him for such a loop, which is why he's so confused. Jesus is making it clear to Nicodemus that a man's first birth or a man's lineage or their DNA doesn't assure them to get into the kingdom. The only thing that will allow them into the kingdom of God is that they are born again. Right? Because you can't inherit your salvation. You can't inherit your salvation. If you go to, for example, Mark chapter 10, and you can find this in, in, in you know, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's the rich young man. And this is a question that Jesus obviously got asked a lot. Which in a sense is the question that he's answering for Nicodemus. Even though we didn't see Nicodemus ask that question specifically. But this, the rich young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, first of all, you can't inherit it. Right? But Jesus said to him, uh, well, why do you call me good? Number one, because no one is good except God alone, which just so you know, Jesus is saying, I am God. You are calling me good, which is equating me to God. Do you know that I am God? He says, you know, the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the guy says, yeah, I know all those commandments. I have kept them from my youth. I've done them all. I'm perfect. Right? And Jesus says, at, looks at him and says lovingly, well, you lack one thing. Which the guy probably didn't think he lacked at all. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. You want to get into the kingdom of heaven? You want to inherit eternal life? Follow me. That's the last thing Jesus says there. Follow me. If you've kept all the laws and all the commandments and you're perfect, well, sell all your, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, because you're going to have treasure in heaven. You don't need those things. Come follow me. Be my disciple. And the guy went away disheartened. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, quit storing up Riches here on earth. Follow Jesus. And it says, after that gentleman left, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, (laughs) how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they, says his disciples were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, uh, well, then who can be saved? As, in other words, well, then there's no hope for any of us. I mean, if the rich man can't enter heaven, how can we, the poor people, enter heaven? There's no hope for us, Jesus, if the rich man can't get into heaven. And Jesus replies with this. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. All things. 
there's a quote by William Barclay, and it says, in the last analysis, what is the matter with so many of us is simply the fact that when Jesus Christ comes with his offer to change us and recreate us, which is what happens when we're born again and we become a new creation, if we were honest when Jesus comes to us with this offer, we would probably answer, no, thank you. I am quite satisfied with myself as I am, and I don't want to be changed. That's the rich young ruler. That's a lot of people. When Jesus gives them the opportunity to be born again, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to be born again. In a sense, that's Nicodemus because it was hard for Nicodemus to accept this fact. Right? It's throwing him for a loop. What do you mean I need to be born again? I'm, I'm a Jew. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Your lineage, your DNA has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. You can't inherit your salvation. So that question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? How can I be saved? That question that the rich young ruler asked, that question that Jesus is answering for Nicodemus, is a question that Jesus has answered every generation since and still answers today. That's why these verses are so important. Because you might even find yourself in a discussion with someone about going to heaven, about being with God. And they're not Christians, but they believe they're going to heaven because they're good, moral, upstanding people. And they could be. They could be some of the most upstanding people you know. But unless they know Jesus, unless they're born again, there is no salvation for them. Right? There is no salvation unless you were born again. And it challenges the thinking of a lot of people out in the world today. And it challenges the thinking of many Christians who think that, in a sense, they're a Christian because their parents were Christian, or they're a Christian because they were raised in the church. They're a Christian just because they were told they were a Christian, and they just accepted it. But yet, they've never been born again. And they don't think they need to be. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. There are people out there, think about this, who probably have more of the Bible memorized than you do, who aren't going to heaven because they're not born again. Because it has nothing to do with how well you read or memorize the Bible. It has nothing to do with you going to church on Sunday. It has nothing to do with any of that. There's not anything that you can do in your own power to earn your salvation. That's why it's a challenging. We've all been born once, I hope. If you haven't been, well, I'm a little worried. But we have to be born twice, right, to enter the kingdom of God. We need a rebirth. We need a second birth. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's a drastic, radical, supernatural change in your life. It's not something that you can do on your own. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how many humanitarian awards that you win or how many times you've received, you know, father or mother of the year awards. You, you know, just like they're surprised that the rich can't get into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't earn it. You can't inherit it. None of that will allow you to enter into the kingdom of God. It is impossible for you to do on your own. It has to be done by God and through his power. There's a quote by Spurgeon that says, a man may cast away many vices. He may forsake many lusts in which he indulged and conquer evil habits. But no man in the world can make himself to be born of God. Though he should struggle never so much, he could never accomplish what is beyond his power. And mark you, if he could make himself to be born again, still he would not enter heaven because there is another point in the condition which he would have violated, which is the man must be born of the spirit. You have to be born again. 
First Peter chapter one tells us, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through what? Through the living and abiding word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus is the word of God through Jesus. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. So according to Jesus, he has been caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does that tell you? It tells you that your salvation is a personal experience. Romans 10, 9 tells you that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus gives Nicodemus the gospel. He gives him the good news. I mean, we, we sort of stopped in the middle of it and we'll continue with it next week, but he gives him the good news. He says, he says Nicodemus, truly I say to you, right? I implore you, trust me on this, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, he says, has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's saying, me, Nicodemus, Jesus, I am the Son of Man. And then right here, he gives him the gospel, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He gives Nicodemus the gospel. He doesn't stop there. He continues on. But that's a reference to the Old Testament. Listen, Nicodemus, if you're having trouble with all this stuff that we've been talking about because you don't quite understand the spiritual truth of God's word here and this idea of being born again spiritually through the spirit, well, let me give you this example, Nicodemus, about Moses in the desert. You should know this one. This is one you should understand, Nicodemus, right? It comes from, for us, it's in Numbers 21, right? And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. People were grumbling in the desert. God sent serpents, right? And whoever the serpents bit, they died. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees the fiery serpent, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, they would look at the bronze serpent and they would live. That's a picture of Jesus on the cross, right? And the price that he paid for our sin. A bronze serpent is a picture of sin judged. Our sin was judged in Christ, right? He who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. So he's given Nicodemus the gospel in a way that hopefully Nicodemus understands even more. You should understand this picture, Nicodemus. Listen, Nicodemus, he came to me because he wanted to speak to me. I can tell from your heart you had a question you needed answered. I'm answering it for you. The life that you live outside of Christ is not all that there is. There is another life. You know this. And if you haven't, I pray that you do find out. There is another life to live. Nicodemus, there is another life to live. And it's a life that's lived through the Spirit of God. 
It's an eternal life, and that starts when you are born again. And being born again starts with repentance. Right? Repent and be saved, Nicodemus, is basically what he's being told. Right? To repent is to change your course. It's a nautical term. It means to do a 180 and correct your course. Right? John 1 that we read you know, just a few weeks ago when we were in John chapter 1, it says, but to all who did receive him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Nicodemus, be born of God. Be born of the Spirit. Because when you're born again, your DNA changes. Abraham's DNA can't save you. You need to be born of God. Your DNA changes. Everything you've been thinking about, your opinions and attitudes and positions about anything that's going on in the world, about sin, about God, about life, about time, about politics, about whatever, it all changes. The way you view everything changes when you're born in the Spirit, when you're born of God. Billy Graham says, the born-again Christian sees life not as a blurred, confused, meaningless mass, but as something planned and purposeful. Nicodemus was confused, but he could have clarity by being born again. Because when you're born again, you become a new creation. God starts a rebuilding process that he promises he's going to finish. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. You could probably agree with this description. It says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building the palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey the command. If we let him, he says. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. That is a new creation. That is being born again. That is when God starts a work in your life that is supernatural, that you cannot explain away by any other method other than the fact I was one way, I am not that way now, and it's because of Jesus. What did Jesus say that he meant? Well, for example, John 3.16. We'll leave off. More on that next Sunday. But for God to love the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen?